Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. To help our newsrooms serve the totality of our communities better, which includes ensuring that the people that we've hired and that are already here have a voice at the table. Recent efforts by media outlets, both big and small, to bring diversity to their newsroom and content have achieved mixed results. Today's guests discuss their large company's commitment to promoting diversity and equity across all of its newsrooms. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Tegna is one of the largest and most geographically diverse media companies in the U.S., Like many other companies in this great resignation and great reshuffle era, Tegna is looking for ways to diversify the workforce of its local newsrooms and broadcast stations. Grady Tripp is Tegna's chief diversity officer, and Eric Valadez is a content director who co-leads Tegna's inclusive journalism program. Grady and Eric, welcome to It's All Journalism. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your backgrounds. Uh, Let's start with you, Grady. What was the career path that led you to Tegna? I'd say my career path is anything but traditional. After getting my MBA in finance, I actually started out in a market research role. And I quickly realized that VLOOKUPs, pivot tables, and regression analysis weren't the life for me, and that I should probably do something with the fact that anytime I'm in Walmart or Publix or Target, I start a conversation with a stranger. And so that led me to pursue a career in HR, starting off with analytics. And since that time, I've progressed in a number of various HR leadership's roles globally. I came out of HR for a while and went into management consulting, where I led change management strategy for technology and process implementations for some Fortune 50 companies. And then an executive leadership session I decided that I wanted to go back into HR when some questions were coming up from some executives and the HR team at that consulting firm had a hard time answering them. And so a headhunter reached out to me about an opportunity at a company called Tegna, said, I have no idea what Tegna is, but it sounds good. And I accepted uh, a role, HR leadership role with Tegna a little over five and a half years ago. And it's led me to my role today of chief diversity officer. So how about you, Eric? You know, How did you become a content director at Tegna? Yeah, my role has been a little bit more traditional than Grady's. I've been in the business about 20 years. I've worked for the company about 17 years. I started in radio. You know, I was producing a, a news talk program. I was doing a little bit of anchoring overnight. And you know, that part-time job led to my first job as a newscast producer in my hometown of San Antonio. And I was able to take on some different newscast producer roles in San Antonio, in Denver, back in San Antonio, Dallas. You know, I joined the company, you know, like I said, in a producer role. But then I was afforded some leadership opportunities when I got to Dallas. That took me then to our corporate team, and then to our station in Denver, where I helped run that newsroom. And then I came back to our corporate team a couple of years ago with an opportunity to help support our stations in the content director role that I'm in now. 
Grady mentioned that when he was being hired, he wasn't sure what Tegna was. Could one of you describe, you know, maybe Eric, could you describe what Tegna is? You know, what type of stations does it have? How many stations and who's the audience they're serving? Yeah, so, you know, Tegna is really a, a local journalism company. So our mission is, is to serve the greater good of our communities. We have stations, you know, really from coast to coast. So we have a number of stations in Texas. We have stations in Portland, Maine, in Portland, Oregon. We're really across the board and we have some of the best TV stations in America. You know, we have 49 newsrooms from a content standpoint, so we have the opportunity to serve a lot of communities. We have several thousand journalists that work in our stations, in addition to marketers and you know, folks on the sales side. But you know, I really look at us as a, as a local journalism company that provides solutions for you know for our audience. You know, beyond that, we also have launched a national verify team. It's an initiative that's been really important to us over the last you know five plus years. That's focused on really adding more transparency and fact checking into you know what we do. It's been powerful in the fight against misinformation. We have a national verify team that. That, you know, is, is leading that effort and partners with our local stations on that. We have 24-7 streaming apps to reach a different audience. So, you know, everything that we do is really about how are we producing journalism and, and trying to reach, you know, audiences regardless of where they're, you know, where they're finding us. And it seems that Tegna is then in a, in a position because it's of its size, it's able to provide different types of level of service and backup to their local newsrooms that just maybe a, a small local paper, a small local station wouldn't have. You have those resources available. That That's, that's what I took out of what you were saying. So, you know, Tegna has set quantifiable five-year goals to increase Black, Indigenous, and people of color representation in content teams, news leadership, and management roles. You know, what led the company to address this? What I would say is... Inclusion has always been, you know, one of the core values to Tegna, but our country's awakening and, you know, some people like to say uh, racial awakening or, or social justice awakening, but really it's an a, a awakening to the experience of marginalized people across multiple identities. So I'm just going to say country's awakening. It caused many companies to ask themselves the question, including Tegna, how serious are we about this? We may have it in our values, we may talk about it, but how serious are we about it? And for us, we know that, you know, in business, regardless of what industry you're in, what gets measured matters and what gets measured gets done. And so it's one thing to say something that it's important, but it's another thing to have tangible goals and some accountability to match the rhetoric. And so before we even established our five-year goals publicly, our board of directors already included diversity and inclusion measures in their charters for our various board committees. And we just felt like it was important to establish goals that would provide some transparency and guide us to how we define meaningful progress for the long game so that it wasn't just a moment versus just making a statement about solidarity and feeling good about ourselves and going back to business as usual, we, we believe that if it was a business imperative, then it should have goals like many other business imperatives do. So can you give me an example of what a goal would be in this sort of context? Yeah. And in fact, we publicly publish our goals. And if anyone went to techna.com and looked at our social responsibility report, you would see those goals. So we have three goals that are designed around diversity, and it's specifically for increasing representation for people of color. 
And that's in our content teams, our content leadership, and our overall company leadership. And so with content teams, we want to reflect the diversity of the communities that we serve. And at the time, underrepresented groups represented 36% of the totality of our audience that we serve. And so in five years, our goal was to get to 36%. With our content leadership and our overall leadership, our goal is to increase people of color representation and leadership roles by 50% from the time that we started to the end of 2025. So those are really our three diversity goals. I do want to mention, though, that while those are our diversity goals, inclusion is equally and frankly, if not more important. And so internally, we have goals around inclusion where we look at measures from our employee surveys, our new hire surveys, our exit surveys to understand if the experience, the way that our employees are experiencing Tegna is inclusive and that there aren't many differences regardless of what your identity is over time. So, you know, while diversity, you know, is certainly important, the inclusion piece is equally important as well. Eric, you know, why is it important to have a diverse staff in a newsroom? It's critically important that, you know, the team that's deciding what gets covered in a community looks like the community. You know, there's a group of people, very passionate, dedicated journalists that come in every day, do their best, you know, to understand what are the issues that are taking place in a community? You know, how do we use our resources to to find truth in storytelling, to, you know, hold the powerful accountable and, and determine, you know, what ultimately will we send home to the audience in terms of the journalism we produce? And so if we don't look like our community, then we're missing an opportunity to tell some of those stories, you know, to have the impact that we want, you know, that's paramount in our ability to serve all the communities that we cover, the greater good as we talked about. And, you know, I think that starts at the top, the top of our leadership in our newsrooms in terms of, you know, who ultimately is going to say yes or no to a story or what resources are allowed to be given to a topic. And that's a big part of what we've been focusing on, you know, as Grady was talking about. Grady, I mean, you know, Eric just sort of described the hierarchy in the newsroom and sort of why it's important at those levels. How about at the corporate level, your large network of stations and newsrooms? Why is it important to have that representation all the way to the top? Yeah, I mean, if you look at any studies from a business perspective, from McKinsey or Harvard Business Review and several others, it shows how diverse companies outperform their peers day in and day out, right? And so we know that the diversity of background, diversity of perspective, when it comes to decision-making from a business perspective, allows companies to outperform their peers, which is important for the employees and obviously the shareholders of, of the organization. But for our company, you know, as Eric mentioned, we've got to go back to our purpose. So our purpose at Tegna is serving the greater good of our communities. And that community certainly represents our audience that watches our local newscasts, either on broadcast or digital, but it also represents our clients and some of the nonprofits that we work with. And so it's important that be it editorial decision or solutions that we're creating for our clients we have diversity in leadership roles in particular so that we're making decisions that are based upon the broadest perspective possible. We've seen 
both within our industry, within our own company, and many other industries where there have been missteps that have taken place because the right people weren't at the table. We didn't have the right voices at the table. And so it's really important to not just have overall diversity, but specifically have diversity of identity and leadership and decision-making roles. That diversity also helps to create a more inclusive environment when individuals can see people that they identify with both at their level and leadership, they can say, you know what? This is a place where I feel like I can grow and thrive and a safe place for me to be my full self. So it's critically important. I remember a recent ep episode that we had where we talked to somebody who was talking about the same subject about creating a more diverse company. And a lot of the concerns in the, the initial response to, well, we have to be more diverse, you know, is making these sort of hires. And so the people who are brought in are then, you know, this is the indigenous person of color that we have on our staff. And then that sort of fills that. But those people became more of a token and, and less of a decision maker. You know, how do you actuate something like this? That's something that I've heard in different ways from different people that a lot of people's intentions are good and they recognize the problem. I mean, newsrooms have been talking about diversity for, for a decade at least, if not longer. And it's only been in recent years that there's been this sort of, oh yeah, we really do need to do this. So how do you affect this change in the company? Yeah, it's a really good question. And Michael, I don't mean to sound draconian in any way, but what I would say is, People feel tokenized when an organization doesn't really understand the value of diversity, okay? If you're bringing in individuals with the intended purpose of solving for something, right? And that something can't be, we look bad. The solving for has to be that you see diversity as a capability and not a function. And that's something that we talk about all the time. We feel like diversity, particularly in our newsrooms, provides a capability that allows our newsrooms to serve the audience better and is not just a function. If you see it as a function, then the people that come in are gonna feel tokenized. And so beyond just bringing in an individual, we try to, and we're not perfect. Our thing is, are we better today than we were yesterday? But is there a plan for, I understand why I'm bringing in this person with this background and what is my responsibility as an organization or as a newsroom to make sure that the intended purpose that I had manifests itself on a daily basis? So that means you have to look at your editorial process. How are stories selected? How are stories pitched? What guidance, what training are we providing to our newsroom leaders so that they understand how to reach out to those voices. And so while we have been on this diversity path, we're also partnering that with the inclusion path. And so Eric and Joni at our organization have really spearheaded an inclusive journalism program, which is a mixture of training and coaching and action plans to help our newsrooms serve the totality of our communities better, which includes ensuring that the people that we've hired and that are already here have a voice at the table. Eric, tell me a little bit about the newsroom. 
and you know how you build an inclusive newsroom. Yeah, I'd love to tell you about our inclusive journalism program, which which Grady just mentioned. It's been a huge focus for us since 2020 when Grady came on board as our chief diversity officer, and you know we've had tremendous support from you know from our leadership team to be able to really start working with our newsrooms on on how do we make some changes and some improvements. We spent a lot of time talking about the gap between intent and impact. And there's a large gap there. And it's different in different communities, in different newsrooms, in different situations. And so we talk about an inclusive journalism program. We really wanted to approach this not as just training, you know, you would have for a couple of days or a couple of hours and then and then move on to solving another problem because it's really about some fundamental changes in in how our newsrooms operate, in who has a voice at the table, in recognizing why diversity and inclusion is important. And so, you know, what we did is we actually, like we often do when we're, we're working to come up with a solution, is we engage some external partners. And so we've had this partnership with the Pointer Institute, well-respected, to help us with this. And they have been fantastic in helping us create, you know, an initial training program that we provided to about 3,700 of our journalists, our marketers, our content leaders throughout last year. Over multiple days, we provided hundreds of hours of training across all of our newsrooms. And, you know, the focus there was really about understanding unconscious bias, about how do you build a more inclusive newsroom, why it matters to your audience. And as Grady was, you know, talking about why it matters to your employees who are there, you know, how do you discuss and monitor issues of race that are going to come up in content? You know, how can you be more responsible in your reporting? So, so we started with a foundation there of, you know, some really good training sessions with some veteran journalists from Pointer who helped us out with that. And then we asked each station to start work on an action plan based on what they were hearing from their employees. And we worked with their leadership teams to start some of those conversations about how we could do better. The second part of the program is something that you know you're starting to probably hear. We're a results-driven organization. We want to understand: are we are we actually having you know an impact with what we're doing? And so we engaged another partner named Horowitz Research, who has a specialty in multicultural research. And you know what we did with them is we said, look, we want to be able to audit our content. We want to take a you know a holistic look at what are we actually providing to the audience. And so you know we spent months working with them to develop a way to actually look at a sample of our broadcasts, look at a sample of our digital contents, look at a sample of our marketing materials in every single one of our markets and you know measure how how inclusive are we? How representative are we of the diversity in that market? And so what we did through our inclusive journalism program is we actually audited all 49 of our newsrooms, you know, content from all 49 of our newsrooms and we provided that information back to each leadership team with, you know, here's a sample of your work. Here's what it looks like from an outside audience perspective. From a quantitative standpoint, do your shows actually look like your community? You know, how does the storytelling feel? Are the right voices included? Are we missing any perspectives that would help with those stories? And so, you know, those conversations have been really powerful. They're actually the most important part, I think, of our inclusive journalism program is recognizing what the opportunities are, recognizing what voices may be missing in a room that led us to make some of the editorial decisions that we did, I think what is, is critically important for us is how are we as journalists minimizing harm in our communities through the choices that we make? Interesting. This is so smart to having the measures there and then coming up with a system to audit yourselves and then 
is much, much smarter and more sustaining than something like, well, we hired this many people and we're writing this many stories. You know, getting a sense from the community what impact these changes are, are having is, like I said, just so smart. From that audit, what sort of results did you, you get back? You know, I think we saw some themes start to emerge as we were meeting with, you know, these outside auditors. And, and let me tell you a little bit about this audit team. We live eat, breathe, sleep news. So, you know, we understand why we make the decisions that we do or how throughout the day is the editorial process plays out, why a story might only get so much time or what elements might go into this story or that story. This audit team is, you know, they approached our content as anyone else in the audience, as someone who said, maybe I watch local news, maybe I don't. So they're really kind of looking at this as an outsider. And that was eye-opening for a lot of our journalists, a lot of our leaders, because we found ourselves trying to explain why we made that decision, when in, in reality, the audience doesn't have the benefit of that. They just know what we sent home to them. And so it led us to a lot of conversations around our crime coverage and developing crime. And we have some real challenges as an industry about how we have reported on crime the use of mugshots around how communities of color show up in our coverage, in particular in crime. And, you know, are we over-reporting on, you know, spot news in some areas and, and not actually getting into systemic issues at the same time, highlighting positive things that are happening in these communities. And so, you know, it's really helped us have to confront, like, what has our role been in perpetuating stereotypes as an industry for a lot of marginalized communities? So I think that's a big one that we're focused on. And, you know, from a solution standpoint, we're re-engaging with Pointer this year on, you know, looking at some other crime coverage opportunities to be able to rethink our crime coverage. You know, outside of that, we have seen results when it comes to whose voices are included in the storytelling process. So, are we actually going into these communities and hearing from them when we're covering stories about communities of color, or are we using experts to talk about them? You know, are we actually including them in the process? Are we actually showing video of communities when we're referencing them, or are we using a lot of stock images? And that's something that came as a result of actually the pandemic, because it was really hard to get out, as we all know, into a lot of different parts of you know, the areas that we cover. And so, you know, you start using a lot of photos and eventually you kind of detach from what's actually the reality in a lot of neighborhoods. And so that was also really important for us to, to hear from the audit team. And then, you know, there's a lot of specific topics like how do you cover the homeless or houseless community with empathy and still look for accountability and solutions, but not forget that we're talking about people and how that may come across to an audience at home. So things like that have, have been really helpful for us to see. Grady, tell me about the five must-haves to create diverse and inclusive workplaces. That's a loaded question. If there ever was one, <laughs> okay, do you want me? To, do you want me to unload it? No, no, no. I don't want you. I don't want you to at all. You know, I would say that there are probably a list of a hundred things, but you know, if I think about five foundational things, I think number one, the very top of the leadership hierarchy has to know and believe in the value of diversity and inclusion, believe it's important to the company and demonstrate it in word and deed consistently. I think that if your very senior leadership to the question earlier, doesn't understand the value that the capability of diversity brings and the power that inclusion can bring to the organization and makes it a priority and talks about it constantly, and walks it constantly, it's going to be difficult to create that at the lower levels. Number two, the organization has to be willing to hold people accountable at all levels for diversity and inclusion. 
And there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, you can do it through public goals like we did. You can put, you know, performance reviews for leaders and compensation, you know, have diversity and inclusion metrics there. There's a lot of ways to do it. But the bottom line is that in your organization, the people that demonstrate inclusion should be rewarded and those that don't, well, the company needs to ask how serious they are in this space. I think number three, there should be a few people that are focused on diversity and inclusion all the time. Several people that are focused on it as a good portion of their role and it should matter to everyone. I think the fourth piece is that partnerships are absolutely critical. If you're going to not only increase diversity, but have inclusion, you have to have partnerships. So from a diversity standpoint, you know, NABJ, NAHJ, AJA, HBCUs, historically serve Hispanic serving institutions, T. Howard Foundation, Thurgood Marshall Fund, you know, these organizations have direct access to top talent and partnerships can help drive that diversity. From an inclusion standpoint, you know, as Eric talked about the inclusive journalism program, you know, some of our stations have created local diversity and inclusion teams that are comprised of community members that they meet front with on a regular basis to say, how have we done serving your community, right? And so having partnerships for feedback as well as access to talent is really important. And then I think the fifth thing is you've got to value the voice of employees with all identities. It's doing a lot of listening, but then it's doing something about what you hear. And going back to that inclusion piece, you know, if you get that part right, then the diversity will come. And one thing, you know, we always talk to our leadership about is when you have a job opening at your station, if your employees aren't running to their networks on LinkedIn saying, hey, you've got to work here, what does that say about how they feel about your environment? I'm not saying that it means anything negative, right? But what I am saying is that if you have an incredibly inspired employee population across all identities, and they're more likely to reach out to their networks, which for most people have similar identities to them. And so the diversity will come if the inclusion is there. So if I had to pick five, those would be the five that I picked. Okay. I think I came up with that question because I saw that written down somewhere as perhaps this was something that you had proposed or written. I didn't mean to thrust something. No, no, it's good. Um, it's a good question. Heavy, you know. But no, yeah, every point spot on. Eric, you know, I sort of want to wrap this up, but I don't want to, you know, it's clear Tegna is doing the work, which A-plus is all around. I mean, recognizing that something needs to change and then taking the steps to not only identify ways to make that change, but also measure it and adjust course as you go forward. is That's just really great. So, you know, you get to these, these surveys back, these evaluations back. Have you seen indications from, from your audience or even in the newsroom for that matter, the benefits of these changes? Yeah, it's been one of the most impactful things I've done in my career. And, you know, the ability to see that we have a problem and that we're starting to find solutions to it. Hearing from our journalists that, that we are making some progress, that our coverage is starting to improve, that the conversations around the editorial table are changing, that, you know, feedback from the community is that you're actually in our neighborhood, you know, you're covering some things that maybe you didn't in the past. That is all just exactly what we want to see happen 
At the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're serving all of our communities. And, you know, there's a benefit to that. As journalists, that's what our mission is. As a business, we want to grow audience. We want more people to consume our product. We want to be relevant in their lives. But to be relevant, we have to understand them and we have to show up for them. And so I think like the unintended consequence of this, which is actually the most important thing out of this whole process, it's actually helped us really connect more with our journalists across the company, in particular, our journalists of color. You know, in some of our markets, they may be one of only or one of a few. And this has really helped start to build more of a community to be able to lean on each other, to be able to provide support, to help them feel comfortable coming to us with where someone like me who supports a station can engage with their leaders about, you know, an opportunity or, or maybe it's a problem that we didn't know about. And so I think that has been really powerful for us to be able to see that network kind of form as we talk about just listening to our employees and making sure that, you know, they have everything they need to be successful in our room and they, and they feel included. Grady, Eric, this has been a really positive, I feel, you know, conversation. Tegna recognized there was a problem and they set out to fix it. I'm sure you both would say this is a journey and you probably haven't gotten to the end of it for sure. You may never get to the end of it, but at least you're moving moving forward. And, and for that, kudos. Eric and uh, Grady, thank you for coming on. It's all journalism. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>